0: I am Marie Bartlett, and I am the director of the Ada May Ivester Education Center here at the Northeast Georgia History Center. And today I have with me Corey Rogers, historian at the Lucy Craft Laney Museum of Black History in Augusta, Georgia. Thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you, Marie, for the invitation. And I look forward to uh, talking with your audience uh, or at least sharing with your audience a little bit about Augusta's history.
0: So could you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and the mission of the Lucy Laney Museum of Black History?
1: Okay, well, as you previously stated, my name is Corey Rogers. I'm a native of Augusta, Georgia. I, I guess I became interested in history at a very early age, and there were several sort of key elements in my life that sort of led me to this point that I'm at now. But that said, Around 2004, I was offered the position here at the museum. And so for the past 18 years, I've served in the capacity as the historian for the museum. The mission of the Laney Museum is to promote the legacy of Miss Laney through history, through the arts, through the preservation of the home. But in addition to all of that, we are sort of the caretakers of Augusta's history mainly as seen through the prism of the African-American experience. And so it's difficult to talk about Lucy Laney without also talking about all the other entities around her. And so the Laney Museum obviously notices or highlights the fact that Miss Laney did not exist in this vacuum, that there were people in and around her that were also some of the movers and shakers of that era. So Augusta had several prominent figures that sort of rose to national prominence at that time, Miss Laney being one of them. But one of the other folks of that era, that first generation of African-Americans coming out of slavery into freedom, one of the other individuals that rose to international acclaim was the Reverend Charles Thomas Walker. And I know that's sort of the crux of why you have me here today. But the Laney Museum has been open since, August of, I'm sorry, since June of 1991. So we've been open now for 31 years and uh, we have four permanent collections of which C.T. Walker is a part of several. And we continue to grow. And we continue to invite any and everyone out to share this experience that we have put together here at the museum.
0: So as you said, today we are going to mainly be talking about Charles T. Walker. But could you perhaps give us an incredibly brief overview of who Miss Laney was since we've mentioned her?
1: Sure. So to kind of give you sort of a breakdown of how important both she and C.T. Walker were to kind of put them um, within the same framework. On May 31st, 1976, one of the major streets in Augusta that runs through the heart of what was then the major African-American community in Augusta, Gwinnett Street. Gwinnett Street was renamed Laney Walker Boulevard. So it was renamed after Lucy Laney and the Reverend C.T. Walker. Um, Lucy Laney, a native of Macon, Georgia, came to Augusta in the 1870s to teach in the public school systems. But by 1883, at the behest of several local ministers, she started a school of her own, initially for girls, but eventually it became a co-educational school. And by 1886, the school was chartered as the Haynes Institute, So Lucy Laney is credited with establishing two of Augusta's most revered institutions of the early 20th century, the Haynes Institute, private boarding school for African-American students that produced some of the finest professionals throughout the country, and the Lamar School of Nursing, which is one of the first nursing programs for African-American women in the South. So um, Miss Laney was quite an extraordinary woman. And as, as I often like to say, I put her on my Mount Rushmore of prominent early 20th century figures.
0: That That's awesome, especially since Gus is so well known for its medical facilities and education today that, you know, she really was a part of that.
1: Oh, oh most certainly at, at the crux of not only establishing the nursing program, but also being a part of graduating students that would eventually become doctors, a lot of her students would become doctors and practice around the country. So quite a resume she developed.
0: Absolutely. So now let's talk a little bit more about Reverend Charles T. Walker, because that's, again, like you were saying, they as they are named together on that street, they, they go together kind of in that same time period or same, same framework. So could you please share with us the story of Reverend Charles T. Walker starting with his birth in
1: 1858? Okay. So uh CT Walker was born outside of Augusta near an area we call Hephzibah, Georgia in 1858. He was born enslaved to Colonel AC Walker who owned both Reverend Walker uh, or or CT Walker and his family. CT Walker grew up in a very religious environment. So that's always sort of key to note from the outset because that would sort of inform how his life would go in subsequent years. But his father was a very well-respected deacon in their church uh, and was also the coachman for Colonel Walker. So had somewhat of a position in that sphere of society. He had several uncles who were also ministers as well. So he came from that tradition and was ordained at a relatively early age at Franklin Covenant Baptist Church. So that was their family home church out in Hepzibah. After slavery ends, things are beginning to change. Education becomes paramount for African-Americans throughout the country. C.T. Walker moves to Augusta and begins taking classes at Springfield Baptist Church. There's a school that was established at Springfield in 1867 called the Augusta Institute. And so that's where Reverend Walker, or then C.T. Walker, well, by the time Reverend Walker, because by the time he goes to college, he's already ordained. So um, he begins taking classes at the Augusta Institute, but at the same time, he's also beginning to pastor at different churches throughout much of rural Georgia or rural Augusta. He leaves Augusta for several years and becomes the pastor of First Baptist Church in LaGrange, but eventually makes his way back to Augusta around 1882 and becomes the pastor of Central African Baptist Church. Now, Let me stop for a moment before I go into the story of Central African, because it's that story that would lead to the founding of Tabernacle. But the Augusta Institute, where C.T. Walker would get a lot of his early college education and training, today that school is Morehouse College. So Morehouse was founded in Augusta in 1867 and moved to Atlanta. In 1879. Now, of course, it wouldn't be called Morehouse until 1913, but its origins comes all the way back to Augusta, Georgia, and that church, Springfield Baptist Church. That being said, while at Central African, he begins to really develop a relationship in the city as this powerful minister, this gifted orator. The problem is there are several internal conflicts within Central African money is a problem. There are fights over leadership within the church because at the time, Walker is still a very young minister and there are, I guess you would say, older forces at play, older ministers who often don't like to share the spotlight with these upstarts. So there's a lot of internal conflict within Central African and the church splits in two. C.T. Walker and those that sort of followed him, they would leave Central African. And by August of 1885, in the Fellowship Hall of Union Baptist Church in Augusta, they started a church called Beulah Baptist Church. Beulah Baptist is the original name of Tabernacle. And so a couple of days later, they changed the name from Beulah to Tabernacle Baptist Church. And so was born in August of 1885, what would become in the 20th century, one of the major religious forces for change and development in this greater region here. A lot of it was due in part to C.T. Walker and his cult of personality. C.T. Walker was a larger than life figure. People often described him as being clear of voice. When he was in the pulpit, so when he was talking, he was very, in a very articulate fashion, he was able to communicate to his audience very, very well. By the time he would leave Augusta in 1899 and become the pastor of Mount Olivet, Baptist Church in Harlem, New York, he had one of the largest churches in this area. So quickly. His church congregation began to grow primarily because of him. You know, he was this magnet. But before we get to that trip to New York, of course, there were several other incidents in his life that would propel him to national and international acclaim. And probably the one big seminal event in his early ministry was the 1891 trip. To the Holy Land via England, which sort of made him, as I like to say, an international rock star.
0: So, in 1891, Reverend Walker traveled to the Middle East and to Europe to the Holy Land. Uh, so, can you tell us about the impact that that trip had on him?
1: Well, I may have—I think I've alluded to this uh, a little bit earlier, but I think that in terms of his ministry and his acclaim and who he was. That trip did wonders for him. I think we have to sort of step back for a moment and sort of put his trip within the context of the time period. So it was quite unusual for, you know, a Southern African-American minister to have the wherewithal to make this international trip at that time you know, you're only a couple of decades removed from slavery. So this was in a way something that was out of the ordinary, but he makes the trip. And along the way, he kind of does his C.T. Walker thing, you know, which is meet people. He's very congenial. And the press begins to take notice of a lot of this. So The thing that sort of propels him into uh, international acclaim is the fact that a lot of your large local publications like the New York Times, they're writing about it. And C.T. Walker is keeping an account of his travels. He's writing about it as well. And then later, his best friend, Reverend Silas Xavier Floyd, would write about C.T. Walker's travels within the context of a biography that's published in 1901 about Reverend C.T. Walker. So you have all of these people uh, writing about this trip. Now, one of the other things during this three-month trip that really sort of solidifies his reputation, especially within religious circles, is that we at least know that he visited the church of Reverend Charles Spurgeon. So there are different accounts. There's a lot of sort of urban legend and oral accounts that have grown up around his London stay. He stayed in London for about a month, but some early religious scholars and ministers would often talk about the fact that he met Charles Spurgeon We don't know that to be true. We do know for a fact that he did visit that church in England. And people started making these correlations between Reverend Charles Spurgeon and his ministry and Reverend C.T. Walker and his ministry. So often you will see Reverend Walker referred to as the Black Spurgeon or the Spurgeon. And that was just simply a, a way of, in a way, communicating the notion that CT Walker had risen to this level of acclaim, claim—that he was prominent, important, and someone worth listening to—Charles Spurgeon being this, you know, noted, very respected theologian at the time. So that trip in 1891 really garnered him a lot of attention and support, and C.T. Walker, coupled with the 1891 trip, C.T. Walker preached a lot of revivals and sermons in the North. And that's important because Northern African Americans began to take notice, but more importantly, in terms of sort of a support system, Northern whites began to take notice. And so a lot of those Northern whites. Who would spend time in the South, especially in Augusta, would connect with him and financially support him along the way. Uh, Probably most notably would be John D. Rockefeller, who Walker would meet when he would become the pastor of Mount Olivet Baptist Church. And they would maintain that friendship when Reverend Walker moved back to Augusta in the early 1900s to have a second life at tabernacle until his death in 1921 so yeah so walker's travels the middle east and london in 1891 his northern revivals and sermons and lectures all of that fed into sort of the mystique the aura the reputation and legend that would become Reverend Walker.
0: So Reverend Walker, of course, as you were saying, he's not only an important figure in Georgia history, but also nationally and internationally. So let's take a little bit more of a closer look at his time in New York City when he served at Mount Olives Baptist Church from 1899 to 1904. So can you tell us a little bit more about his time there?
1: Well, the funny thing about Reverend Walker going to Mount Olivet in Harlem is that he never seemed to be fully committed to New York. And the reason why I say that, he maintained a very healthy relationship with Augusta. The people at Tabernacle did not want him to go, but he went anyway. But he would always come back home. To Augusta in that 1899, that three, four year period that you mentioned between 1899 and 1903, 1904, he would always come back home. And it might be something like coming back to raise money for the tabernacle old folks home. So one little sort of side note, C.T. Walker, when he started tabernacle, he also started an old folks home in Augusta. And According to C.T. Walker, the purpose of the old folks home was to, for the well-being and well-care and the caring of the elderly and formerly enslaved. So I, I like to call that to people's attention because historically we often think of slavery ending in 1865 and we think of that everything was sort of washed away. But you have to realize that there were African-Americans who were in their teens, 20s, 30s, 40s and 50s when slavery ended. So by 1885, 1886, many of these enslaved people are still here, hundreds of thousands of them. And so he starts the old folks home as a measure to look after some, not all, obviously, but some of them. Especially, I would think, those connected to his church, connected to Tabernacle.
0: So how important was the year 1899 to Reverend T. Walker's personally?
1: Well, I think that, you know, 1899 was one of those um, uh, transformational years for him. In that year, he actually was appointed as a chaplain and served a tour in sort of the occupying area during the Spanish-American War. And what's interesting about C.T. Walker is that it seems like he never missed an opportunity to, quote, save souls. So everywhere he'd go, you know, especially like in Cuba, you know, he was talking with and, you know, converting people to Christianity. So uh, that he, he took his ministry everywhere uh, with him. Also in that year, and, and it's kind of interesting, I also note the fact that when he came back from the Spanish-American War and gave a lecture on it at Tabernacle, you know, there were, you know, thousands of people, according to the account, it was sort of an overflow crowd. You know, some people were outside of the church. So there was an electricity, at least according to his accounts, uh, there was an electricity that was always around C.T. Walker and the things that he would do. Also in that year, here in Augusta, Booker T. Washington paid his first visit to the city. It was his first visit, but it wouldn't be his last visit. His last visit actually would come once again with C.T. Walker in 1911. But Booker T. Washington was here in the city to give a lecture at a church called Thankful Baptist Church. And um, C.T. Walker introduced him. And so the two of them would maintain a friendship until uh, Booker T. Washington dies in 1915. And one of the reasons for that is uh, they had a shared ideology. So C.T. Walker promoted sort of a more conservative, more more moderate to conservative view on race relations and things like that. And so as a result of that, the two of them had somewhat of an alliance, uh, if you will. But with the excitement of Booker T. Washington coming in 1899 and interesting enough, a year before that, Du Bois was here speaking at the same church. So sort of interesting dynamic that plays out. But with the Washington lecture and going to Cuba, there was uh, the big change in his life in that year was, of course, Going, in Har- going to Harlem, New York. And while in Harlem, similar to Augusta, he drew large crowds. He drew the attention of both the affluent and um, those who had less. He helped to establish the Harlem YMCA while he was there, just as he would establish the Augusta YMCA. And It's an interesting point I would like to make about those types of organizations. The YMCA was a relatively important organization while I was growing up, but it meant more in the late 19th, early 20th century. It was a big to do. Like, I mean, it was a large organization with tens of thousands of members and they did so much in the communities and so um he helped to establish both of these chapters one in harlem one in augusta and through the vehicle of the ymca he would often bring various people to tabernacle like william howard taft president supreme court Justice would speak at Tabernacle on three different occasions after C.T. Walker comes back to Augusta in the early 20th century. But he meets Rockefeller, and John D. Rockefeller had already established a relationship with Mount Olivet prior to C.T. Walker coming there. And so always the philanthropist, Rockefeller would connect with Walker here in Augusta and would actually visit Tabernacle on at least three different occasions between 1907 and 1908. And um, because of that relationship, John D. Rockefeller would donate, would make several donations to C.T. Walker's school. So C.T. Walker had a private school here in Augusta, or at least the Walker family established it with him sort of at the head of it called the Walker Baptist Institute. And to kind of give you sort of the cultural context of the school, when Walker Baptist was established, there were other private schools around it. And each Christian denomination had its own private school. So Lucy Laney was a Presbyterian. So Haynes was primarily a Presbyterian school. The Catholics in Augusta had Immaculate Conception Academy. And the Methodists had Payne Institute, which is today Payne College in Augusta. So the Baptists had the Walker Baptist Institute. And on the campus of Walker Baptist, you had Rockefeller Hall, which was dedicated in 1911. Booker T. Washington gave the keynote speech for that dedication. So John D. Rockefeller maintained a relationship with C.T. Walker and gave money for a lot of Walker's initiatives, uh, both in Harlem and here in Augusta, Georgia. But he would only spend a few years in Harlem before coming back to Tabernacle and remaining there until his death in 1921.
0: So as you said Revin Walker of course came back to Augusta he always maintained those those Georgia ties like this this was his home. So when he came back to Augusta George after his time in New York he came to live in a house that was built in 1895. So could you tell us a little bit about this house and what's being done to preserve it?
1: Okay. So you're absolutely correct. CT Walker's last location still stands and you know it it would be really interesting for you, Marie, to see like a, almost like a before and after shot, so um about sixteen years ago, the house pretty much was falling into disrepair, and um myself or at least the Laney Museum and other uh preservation organizations like Historic Augusta began to take notice, and so. It eventually made its way to the endangered properties list of historic Augusta, and they eventually took over ownership of the home and began to restore the house. So it looks totally different. And in one of my last conversations, it seems like the director of Augusta's Housing and Community Development would like to purchase or at least take ownership of the home and maybe put it out there on the market for someone to live in the house. A lot of local organizations have interest interest in maybe making that their base of operations. But it's at least a preservation win in Augusta. But historically speaking, C.T. Walker lived in that home during sort of his second life in Augusta. And that second, so as I like to call his second act, was just as profound as his first. So the biggest thing that occurred in the second, so the second go around, was the building of the brand new church. So Tabernacle maintained its first church home between uh, 1885 and I would say the mid teens on Ellis Street in Augusta, closer to the river, the Savannah River. But by 1914, the cornerstone had been laid for a brand new church. So between 1914 and 1921, the brand new Tabernacle Baptist Church was built. And interesting enough, the official dedication for the church happened maybe a month or so after C.T. Walker died in 1921, but his purpose was to build sort of this grand experiment, this church or community resource that everyone could enjoy. So even though it was a Baptist church, it was not meant exclusively for the Baptists. There were uh, sewing classes, ironing classes, things like that offered at Tabernacle. The church itself is probably one of the largest structures within that neighborhood. And as we started this interview at the time, Tabernacle sat on Gwinnett Street, not Laney Walker at that time. The church itself rose three levels, and then it had a sub-level. The sanctuary could seat anywhere from 12 to 1,500, making it one of the largest. And today, Tabernacle definitely is one of the largest churches in Augusta with about 10,000 members. So that church sanctuary definitely sort of comes into play. And so C.T. Walker's second act in Augusta, sort of highlighted by the building of the new church, Was also a way for him to kind of reintroduce himself to the Augusta community and continue to be a sort of a force for leadership and a force for change in Augusta in his own way. He wasn't as progressive as Lucy Laney was. I mean, Miss Laney was the founder of the Augusta NAACP, for example, but C.T. Walker had a more moderate approach. However, later in his life and i'm not quite sure what prompted why why he became a lot more bold in some of his pronouncements but right around the time of world war one you know he talked about you know jim crow as being a scourge and that world war one was god's wrath on europe for what it did to africa in colonizing africa and that white America should take heed that that same scourge may come to America if they don't treat quote, colored people a lot better. And so, you know, that kind of caught me off guard because knowing sort of his conservative credentials, that was sort of odd that he would make a, uh, preach a, a sermon or have a lecture like that. But for the most part, He was moderate to very conservative, was always in the forefront of everything. Like if you read newspaper accounts, when it looks at the leadership of an initiative, it was always C.T. Walker somewhere in there. One other thing I'll mention, very key element to his life story. C.T. Walker had a best friend. I mentioned earlier Reverend Floyd. And Reverend Floyd wrote about C.T. Walker, I mean, all the time. Now, Reverend Floyd had a newspaper column, so he was able to do this. It's called Notes Among the Colored. And it was the Augusta Chronicle's way of segregating its newspaper for all intents purposes. So from 1915 until the 1960s, the Chronicle was for primarily, it was a segregated newspaper. And so Reverend Floyd, who was the editor, would often write about any and everything going on in the black community. And C.T. Walker and Tabernacle, of which Reverend Floyd was also a minister at Tabernacle. C.T. Walker got the lion's share of, you know, the publicity. And so it goes without question that C.T. Walker was, had this international presence about him. But I often have to think that, you know, it it pays to have sort of this built-in hype man that's always hyping up everything you do. You know, literally everything you do is like on a scale of one to 10 is a 14, you know, and so that that really helps to have that. But it does not diminish the fact that Reverend Walker born enslaved in 1858, would go to school in Augusta at Augusta Institute, today Morehouse College, would pastor no less than eight different churches during his lifetime, would establish what is today the largest African-American church in Augusta in the form of Tabernacle, would start both the Harlem YMCA and the Augusta YMCA would be the general manager of the first insurance provider for African-Americans in in Georgia, the Pilgrim Health and Life Insurance Company, would travel the world, gain international acclaim, would welcome to Augusta, George Washington Carver, Booker T. Washington, William Howard Tapp, and John D. Rockefeller. So C.T. Walker led, led a complex, full life but a transformational life. And it was really through his ministry that he was able to transform this community. And so having a street name for him, having a school name for him is I think probably the most appropriate way to celebrate his legacy. And the last thing I'll say about that legacy is the fact that when you establish something at a certain level, it is sometimes difficult for those who come behind you to maintain that level. Well, Tabernacle has had some extraordinary ministers after C.T. Walker, almost three in succession. Reverend C.S. Hamilton, who served from 1955 until 1996, who is the Dr. King of Augusta, you had his uh, successor, Reverend Otis Moss III, and then his successor, the current pastor, Reverend Charles Goodman. All three extraordinary ministers. So, C.T. Walker laid the precedent for Tabernacle going out to find these exceptional leaders, and for all intents purposes, much of the 20th century of that church has followed in the model of C.T. Walker. So his legacy is firmly entrenched and quite an extraordinary individual. And I'm happy to say, you know, he's from this area.
0: He has an incredible legacy to be sure, as you said. So thank you so much for being with us today and for being to share this story of a person that everyone should know, but perhaps had not heard of before. So now- After listening to this podcast, now people have heard of him, and hopefully we can share his story a little bit more.
1: Thank you again, Marie, for the time and um, any of your listeners. Augusta welcomes you with open arms. We have a lot of history here in Augusta. We have a very unique history here in Augusta, and we would love for you to share in that history with us. So come one, come all.
2: Then Again is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps other people discover the show. There are a few great ways to support the History Center. Make a donation online by clicking the Donate button on our website at www.negahc.org. Become a digital member to receive exclusive invites to members-only live streams every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can register on our membership page at www.negahc.org. We also have an online gift shop with lots of great items for all ages. Use promo code THEN AGAIN for 15% off your online order. Valid on anything except memberships and handmade items. We'll see you next week for another episode of THEN AGAIN. Thanks, y'all.